Before we begin the sermon, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks that we can hear your words today. And Father, as we reflect on it, please work in our hearts and change us. Draw out the things within us that does not please you and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. About 20 years ago in Chicago, Christopher, a 15-year-old boy, was shot. He was bleeding badly, but his friends managed to carry him to within 15 meters of the hospital. But because of the bleeding, they had to put him down on the parking lot because they were concerned that they're making the injuries worse. The friends then rushed into the hospital and asked for help, but they were told that the hospital policy is that they cannot treat anyone who is not in the hospital grounds. Sorry. They frantically looked for a solution and managed to find a policeman. The policeman then found a wheelchair. They put Christopher in it and they brought him to the ICU. But by then, it's too late. He was already dead. Outside, we are surrounded with people who are dead without the gospel. Yet we too, like that hospital, are content to only share the gospel with those who step into the church building. And the main reason that we don't share the gospel when you are outside is because we are afraid. Jesus talks today about this fear and he gives us an answer to how we can seek to overcome this fear. So how do we do that? Let's come to our passage in Matthew 10. But before that, to refresh our memory, last week, Andrew brought us back to Matthew and we looked at the end of Matthew chapter 9 and the beginning of Matthew chapter 10. And we saw that the disciples were sent on a mission to the nation of Israel to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, of course, for us, it applies slightly differently. They went on a short-term, intensive and localized mission but we are looking at a long-term, ongoing ministry with global reach. So, while there are differences in the shape of the ministry, one thing, unfortunately, remains the same. Proclaiming the gospel comes with danger and cost. That was true for them. It is true for us now. Our passage today will talk about these dangers and costs. And it teaches us how to respond to these things. So let us listen as we come to verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now Jesus uses a metaphor here as he talks about the sending of the disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The disciples, they were sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, you don't need much imagination to understand what Jesus means here. Wolves will eat sheep and then thank you for the nice meal. Yet here is Jesus sending out the sheep that is his disciples out to the people of Israel who, like the wolves, will devour them if given the opportunity. Isn't that shocking at first glance? However, Jesus is not here cruelly tossing his disciples to get eaten by the wolf, he sends them with a reminder 
They are to be wise as serpents. And this is saying they are to be cunning, they are to be crafty, something like the serpent in Genesis. But at the same time, they are also called to be innocent as dove. So it's implied that they're not to be cunning or crafty in a bad or wicked way like the serpent in Genesis, but it's about being smart about things. It's about being prepared. It's about acting after considering all things, about being critical. It's about wisdom and prudence. So think about it, right? How would this advice then apply to us? Imagine you go right in front of a Hindu temple, armed with a loudspeaker. You wait for them to ring their bells and start their worship service, then you switch on, you compete with them. Proclaim the gospel for everyone to hear. Is that wise? We know it's not because it will create unnecessary controversy and it actually will interfere with the gospel that we're sharing because people will get angry about the way that we are doing it. And so, we should not be doing it in such a way because it will incite anger towards Christians, but instead, being wise like serpents, we can do it in better ways, right? And still allow for the gospel to go out. We can invite our friends, hey, come to my home. There it's not public. There, as you have conversations with them, you can share the gospel as part of your sharing, as part of your fellowship. And since we are to be innocent like dove, when we share the gospel, we don't try to be underhanded about it. We don't promise them food or aid or money. If only you will convert to Christ. Instead, you preach the gospel honestly. We tell the truth. We offer aid freely and not conditionally. And we see from here that Jesus calls us to share the gospel knowing the dangers that we will face. It's not different then than it is now. And Jesus does not say, it's okay, stay safe, concentrate on your career, on your family. Rather, he tells us, go out there, but be wise and innocent. So clearly, the dangers should not stop us from working out how we can share the gospel out there. So, for those of you who think of, oh, dangerous, better don't share. You want to rethink. That's not what Jesus has said. That's not what Jesus would allow. Then we come to verse 17 and we see a warning. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to, wear, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And here Jesus reminds his disciples to be careful of men because the people of Israel will reject them as they bring the gospel. And Jesus lists out the dangers here. There will be trials, punishment, problems with the authorities. And as if that's not enough, in verse 22 and 23, he adds on betrayal, death and hatred to the list. Jesus paints a scary picture here. But he doesn't say this so that we have an excuse not to share the gospel. He still wants us to do that, despite the danger. In fact, 
Jesus is not really concerned with the success because he says, even if you're not successful, they catch you, then you're dragged before the governors and the king to be sentenced, you're still being a faithful witness to him. And in these situations, they are to bear witness to the authorities, to the Gentiles who are under them. And so even the failure will bring about witness of Christ to others. And while the Gentiles are not the target yet at this point, remember Jesus sent the disciples out to the people of Israel, it is clear that they too are to hear the witness that the disciples bear and respond to the gospel. And that shows us the heart of Jesus that ultimately Jesus wants everyone to hear the gospel. And so from here, we can see that as we continue the gospel mission, going out into the world, our goal is faithfulness in proclaiming Christ. Don't need to worry whether you'll be successful in converting this person or not. Just be faithful. And in both your successes and failures, we can then aim to be faithful. Now, think of people like Pastor Raymond Koh, who went missing before, because he offended some people. Now, some people would see him as a failure because finally he was kidnapped and his ministry came to an end. We're not even sure, unfortunately, if he's alive or not. But in light of what Christ reveals here, we shouldn't be thinking that way, isn't it? Rather, we should see the terrible price that he paid for his gospel work shows his faithfulness. And through that, it becomes a witness to this nation. He proved with his ministry that the gospel of Jesus Christ is important enough that Christians are to risk even their lives to proclaim it. But do we find encouragement from his ministry? Or do we merely see him as a cautionary tale to discourage people and fill them with fear? Imagine that if your family member, your son or your daughter says, I want to go out and share the gospel. Will you say, hey, careful, ah, boy. Don't end up like Raymond Ko, ah. Pandai, pandai. Or will you commend faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel? Will you aspire to intensify your own sharing of the gospel? We're thinking about, isn't it? Next, we come to verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. How you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The disciples are reminded that as carefully as they may be, they may still be delivered to the authorities. So how should they respond? Jesus tells them. They are not to speak of their own, but rather speak what is given to them by the Spirit. And the point here is Jesus is telling them, even then, they are not abandoned by God. Through the Spirit, God is still with them, using them for His purpose, so that their suffering and failures is not wasted. They will be used for God's purpose. 
And we do witness this in the book of Acts, in the historical records of the lives of the disciples and the apostles. Yes, almost every apostle underwent persecution, died a terrible death. But they died, and they died as martyrs who faithfully proclaimed Christ, didn't they? And through their faithfulness, didn't God grow his church? They are not abandoned and discarded by God after that because he has promised to raise them up in glory. So friends, we see here that persecution, even death, should not stop us from sharing the gospel. And we too can trust in the Spirit if we are one day placed in such a situation. The Spirit will lead us to remember the words of the apostles, what we have read in Scripture, and the Spirit will lead us to proclaim that as a witness even to our persecutors. So if you are thinking, I'm, I'm not a seminary student, what do I have to prove? I will have nothing to say. Well, don't think you have nothing to offer because when you are placed in that position, Jesus has promised the Spirit will help you. So then, that's not an excuse, isn't it? So even if the worst happened, God is still with us and he will use us for his purposes. And if that's the case, why are we afraid of sharing the gospel? Well, if we are honest, it's because it's still very scary, right? And we see that in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. The disciples are told it's not going to get easy. Opposition will come even from those who are close to them, their brothers, their fathers, their children, their own family. They will be betrayed and hated if they listen to Jesus and preach the gospel. But Jesus is saying this to point them to hope rather than to bring them to despair. And we see that hope in the second part of verse 22. Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The one who endures to the end is the one who is saved. We are not to give up on our faith, if our parents or siblings or family reject our faith in Jesus, and even if they persecute us, we should endure to the end because it is that faith that will save us. And for those of you who might be facing persecution at home because you might have left your family's religion and now you're following Christ, have some comfort. That if you endure to the end, Christ promises the faith that you hold on to will save you. You are not holding something meaningless, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The gospel that promises that whoever comes to Jesus and puts their trust in Him as their Lord and Savior, their sins are forgiven, made right with God, and they are granted eternal life. So as you hold firm to your faith and you trust in the gospel, you will come to salvation. Even if your loved ones and everyone around you hates you. And we also see the disciples are comforted. They were told that even as they flee persecution, hang in there. The time is already here when the Son of Man is revealed. So it's very near. And this is talking about the judgment that Jesus pours down on unbelieving Israel, leading to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And we see during that time as the judgment fell, the temple fell and the church of God, Christians, were exalted. And this led to relief to some who were terribly persecuted in the beginning. And in that judgment, we can see a small picture of foreshadowing of the coming of the Son of Man in His full glory in that second coming, to judge. So for us, if we have to endure persecution, we have to set our hope on the coming of the Son of Man during the second coming, where He will judge forever the world and bring the church to glory by His side. And then there will be no more persecution. So knowing that that day will come someday, we will be people who still have hope. Even if you have shared the gospel to the point where you're persecuted and you need to run from city to city. Then we come to verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So we see here that the reason the disciples will suffer as Israel reject them, the reason Christians today will suffer, is because we are to be like Jesus, but the world has rejected Jesus. So actually there should be no surprise, right, if the world rejects you. It just means that you are becoming more like Jesus. And that, friends, is the cost of being a true disciple. That is the cost of being a faithful servant. Are you trying to be these things without paying the cost? The liturgical calendar for today celebrates the baptism of Christ. Christ was baptized, not for his sake, but for us, right? His baptism is for him to identify himself with us so that we have faith. And through that faith, we are baptized into Christ's death as we go under the water and baptized into Christ's resurrection as we come out of the water. And so, if he did it so that we can identify with him, then it is right for us to have a share in the suffering because we identify with Christ. Because Christ came to suffer. And so that is what it means to be in Christ. So if you are enjoying your life in this world, you are well loved by everyone, 
doesn't mean it's automatically bad, but you should take stock and ask the question, am I becoming more like Jesus or am I becoming more like the world? Am I proclaiming him or am I more concerned about the world? Have I denied him before the world that the world loves me and blesses me? So, we talked about people who persecute Christians. How should we deal with them? Verse 26 then tells us, So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. Therefore, we should have no fear of men or their persecution. Because ultimately, the truth will come out. The hidden will be revealed. And that is the promises of the gospel that were spoken to the disciples in secret will be seen by all and will be known to be real. As on one day, every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And on that day, those who hold on to the gospel, those who preach the gospel, those who are hated because of the gospel, they will be vindicated. They will be blessed. And those who persecuted and hated them for it, they will realize that they have been wrong, even as the judgment of God falls on them. Look to that day and do not be afraid. You will be vindicated. Then we see the reminder to not be afraid is repeated again in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We are not to fear them because all they can do is kill the body. If the gospel is revealed to be truth, then the consequences is that everyone will have to stand before God. And unlike man, God can not only destroy the body, but also the soul as he consigns those who reject him to hell, that place of utter damnation. And so friends, if you're looking with the end in sight, to stop proclaiming the gospel because we fear men is to go against God, isn't it? That means it's utter foolishness. That means there will be terrible consequences if in our foolishness we disobey God because we are scared of men. Therefore, we should fear God. Is that a good thing, fearing God? Let me share this with you. In the First World War, an American general, George Patton, who was known for his tough attitude and angry character, he went to visit a camp where his best commandos were stationed. And there he saw an American commando perched on top of a tree, armed to the teeth and using his binoculars to check around for intruders. So the general called out to him and said, You men! are always the first into battle, willing to take on the most dangerous mission. Tell me, why are you willing to do it? 
Are you men truly without fear? In response, the commander replied, Sir, it is not that we are without fear, it is that we are more afraid of you. Now, this seems very illogical, right? But here we see an example of how a greater fear can drown out the lesser fear and lead people to act. Fear can drive away fear. Now, it does still seem wrong to say we should share the gospel out of fear, but what we want to understand is that fearing God is not the same thing as fear in general, which is normally a negative thing. Rather, this is talking about wisdom. Fear in this context is more of just rightly understanding and appreciating who God is, His nature, how He deals with sin, His judgment. And in that realization then, having this acknowledgement, God is God. He is all-powerful, be all struck by Him, knowing that He will judge with fairness and justice. And so acting in response to that is what we call fear of God. And so this is not saying that if you do not proclaim the gospel hard enough, God is going to take away your salvation and cast you into hell. It's not meant to scare you into sharing the gospel, but it's meant to be a right fear that drives you to do the right thing. So rightly fearing God will make you see, right, that those who do not accept the gospel will be judged by God. So if you are someone who fears God, knowing God can destroy body and soul, and you understand it's not talking about safe Christians losing their salvation because they did not save X number of people, then you realize that means the judgment of God is upon everyone outside there. So if you know that, will you stop trying to help your family members, your friends, your neighbors, knowing that destruction is upon them, will you stop helping them even if they persecute you? Imagine someone buckling up a seat belt. They do it because they are afraid of what will happen in an accident. If there's no accident, there's absolutely no point to wear a seat belt, right? And this is not a bad fear that's forcing you to do something against your will. This is wisdom. It's going to protect you if an accident happens. And this fear then will surely make you turn to your child or your friend who gets in your car and say, hey, wear your seatbelt. Isn't it? Imagine if you know I'm going to drive very fast. I'm going to drift the car around. I'm going to wear a seatbelt, but you know, couldn't be bothered about you, dear friend. Sit in my car. That's what we do when we go outside. We have the gospel, but we refuse to share. So we should fear God and let that help us overcome our fear of men. And in verse 29, we see how Jesus compares God's compassion to the sparrow and how we are greater than that. And we see here that God values us, that God cares for us. So when we talk about fearing this God, it's not about cringing away from a violent father. It's about respecting and honoring a loving father. And so this is the fear that we need in order to help us set our priorities right 
and to overcome our fear of men. So the fear of God is a good fear, a fear that frees us from all the fear that we have of persecution, being delivered, being flogged, being hated by the world. And then Jesus ends the section in verse 32. And he gives both an encouragement for the faithful disciples and a warning to those who are driven by fear. Because driven by fear, they were shirk away from the duty of proclaiming the gospel. Jesus says, those who acknowledge him will be acknowledged by him, and those who deny him will be denied by him. So as we conclude our passage today, we can summarize, right? That for those who preach the gospel, persecution and suffering will come. But we should not give up on doing it out of fear. Rather, we have to fear God above fearing men and go on to preach the gospel. And we have hope because we know God values us, that God will vindicate us. And so we can be people who reflect, how are we sharing the gospel today? Are we persevering in doing this? Are we more afraid of the world hating us? So have a look, friends, at all the fears that's within you that's stopping you from doing, your, or doing the sharing of the gospel. And then ask yourself, do you fear that more than you fear God? Christ will only vindicate those who acknowledge him now. If you, out of fear, live a life of denying Christ as you go outside of this building, you might think, yeah, okay, you can come here every week, you can do everything that makes you feel that you're a good Christian, but he's not your Lord in your life, isn't it? And if you have denied him, he will deny you. So friends, reflect carefully. Make sure that the path you're following is not the path led by the fear of men which is leading you away from Christ. And so the only way you can know for sure, do I fear God or do I fear man, is by asking this question. Do I preach the gospel when I am afraid? To reflect on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the gospel. And truly it is scary to go out and to preach the gospel. Father, help us to not have fear. Help us to fear you rightly so that we may be able to do this to glorify your name. Help us, Lord, to be faithful servants. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.